this episode, we're going to give you a checklist for preparing to buy in 2023. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about what to expect in the property market in 2023, and we're going to give you practical tips for getting yourself ready to buy. But before we get into that, uh, Megan, on the video, always have a special building or house behind her. What the hell is that? (laughs) It just looks like a child's toy, doesn't it? But what it is, is a bioclimatic solar house in eastern France. So it's designed as a three-dimensional sundial that keeps the temperature cool during summer and warm in winter. Oh, my God. It looks like... I don't know how you live in it, though. No, it looks like it (laughs) fell out of... the practicality of it. Yeah, it looks like it fell off a satellite and just landed (laughs) in a field somewhere. Yeah. You know, I'm a little bit... People are interesting. I like aesthetics in buildings and that thing's as ugly as a hat full of. Anyway... What are the markets going to do, Veronica? What's going to happen in 2023? You know, uh, who's got the crystal ball? Oh, the crystal ball. You know, so first... Not us. No, exactly right. <laughs> first and foremost, that's that's the thing we're going to tell you. Don't listen to anybody who tells you what is going to happen any year, let alone next year, right, or this uh-huh. year. When are we? When this was year. this going live? We're recording this, this in December for January. So if we get a bit mixed up with our this year's and next year's, what we're talking about here is 2023, setting you up that if you want to buy, you can, I guess, filter out the noise and just get a really good checklist for what to do. So what will the market do? The market will do what the market does. Look, Well, I think the thing that's on everyone's mind is interest rates. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Just assume they're going to go up, I would probably say, wouldn't you, Veronica? Because that is the pathway that we're on. Well, I I think what I would say, right, and in fact, this year um, we're doing every year on the Elephant in the Room podcast, we do a full or forecaster report. And in this year's report, I'm focusing very much on all the predictions of what interest (laughs) rates we're going to do, right? The biggest (laughs) Dumbo, the biggest gong is going to go to Philip Rowe, that's his name, isn't it? Philip Rowe. Hello. Yeah, the um, governor of the Reserve Bank who predicted himself 
that rates would not rise until 2024. Now, he's had to come out and apologise. We've, we've actually talked about this because what was reported in the media did not contain the caveats that in the full statement were actually made by him before he said those words. Which is correct and also shows why you should not trust what you read in the media because they will go for the most sensationalist thing Absolutely. and leave out all the detail, So, which is gold. So the thing is, right, that if people base their decisions on that. On the media. That's, you know, and that's, t- and I have to say I was convinced of it too because let's face it, when the Reserve Bank governor comes out and says these things, you're inclined to believe them, right? Um because after all, he, he runs the board that is responsible for making these decisions. I mean, what better person to predict what happening with interest rates? However, he's in his December uh, speech, he basically said, look, there's going to be more rises, right? I guess he'd be too scared to say there's not <laughs> um, <laughs> after all of that. So Once bitten, twice shy. Assume they're going to rise. Okay, firstly, we do not know how far. We do not know when they will stop. And we'll do not know when they will fall again. And there are already some predictions coming out that interest rates will fall in 2023. So you've got to make your decisions based on worst case scenario. Absolutely. One thing we can say is that there will be no decision in January because there isn't a decision in January. So that is one month that you can confidently say interest rates won't go up every other month after that. Yeah, or down. (laughs) Every other month after that. It will depend on how much these interest rate rises have been able to control inflation. And, you know, we know that Christmas is a time traditionally people spend a lot of money and it is also a time where people take holidays. So if those two things are happening and a lot of money is being spent, then inflation is not going to be controlled during that period of time. So it's almost... Um, it's almost, you could almost say that in February it is likely that we will see an interest rate rise. After that, who knows? Who knows? And so you've got to do all your budgeting based on, you know, some assumptions that rates are going to rise. Also, you have to be thinking about your borrowing capacity because that is reducing with every rate rise. So you've just got to be like an hawk on that if you want to buy in 2023. Mm. Don't step into an auction if you got pre-approved in November. Don't step into an auction in February and think that you're going to be able to get the same amount of money if there has been interest rate rises because your borrowing capacity will have been diluted. Now, one of the other things that there's been a lot of publicity around is falling prices. And once again, do not listen to the headlines around that. And I'll give you a very good example why. In Sydney, where I am based in the and I'm located in the inner west of Sydney, right, I've been tracking... Uh, properties that have sold in 2021 and then sold again in 2022. And you might think, who in their right mind would buy one year and sell another? I agree, dumb, right? But happens quite a lot. Quite sometimes surprising. things happen that you don't expect. At the time of, and and sometimes, yes, life gets in the way. There's, there's no doubt about that. But also no. quite often people make the wrong decision when they buy a property and then they regret it very quickly. And that's when they often would sell. And obviously, we're here and you're listening because you don't want to make that wrong decision. So hopefully, this will never happen to you. But anyway, so the Sydney property prices at the point of recording this podcast at the beginning of December, Sydney property prices from CoreLogic had come had fallen 11% this year in 2022, right? So 11% prices have fallen. 
And so you would think that every single one of those properties that sold last year and then on sold this year should have lost money. That's what you would be thinking. That is a reasonable assumption a based reasonable on what assumption. the media gives us and feeds us in terms of, of um, you know, grossed up information. Exactly. Now, I know I do not have every property that I've been tracking, but I've got 18 of them at this point. And of those 18 properties, 14 have sold for more money than they sold for last year, right? Two of them haven't sold. And if they did, they probably would sell for less based on what they were quoting and why they couldn't, then they didn't sell, right? And other two did sell at a loss. So four, let's say four would have sold at a loss out of the 18, 14 sold at a gain. Now, different levels of gains, you can get into the nitty gritty. That's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is that don't believe the hype that all property prices are falling. And not in every area and not uniformly, like the whole of mm-hmm. Sydney supposedly fell 11%, but you would say some suburbs, some types of property would have been more heavily affected than others. Some have gone up and still been competitive in that time. So really be very, I guess, aware that the media saying these things, you as a property buyer, as an educated property buyer, having listened to this podcast and hopefully done the first home buyer course, you're out there, you're educated. You know, you're not necessarily going to find that property prices are falling in the area in which you want to buy. And so this is the reason because granular, what happens on the ground is often very different to what happens in the aggregated data. Absolutely. And and even uh, in Brisbane where I'm located, we've, we've seen examples where you can't even talk about, you, you, we never talk about markets because markets are too high level, too wrapped up and, and you really can't analyse individual properties by talking about markets. But just in one suburb and a, and, a, and a well-regarded blue chip suburb, I've seen properties sell for 5% less than I thought they should have based on comparable sales and 15% more than they should have sold for. And those two properties would have been considered within the same market segment, which is renovated, family-sized homes, no overriding negatives, no objections that, that needed to be overcome. Um, so there's nothing even kind of uniform about the property type the location of what's happening, it is very, very granular in terms of how people are behaving and who moves forward and who doesn't move forward on an individual property. And as an, as an agent, you know, you and I have got over 25 years experience, 45 years experience between the two of us. I was talking to an agent in that particular suburb who has over 40 years experience in that suburb as a specialist. And I said to him, what, what are you seeing? And he said, I don't know, 40 years experience. I have no idea what people are doing at the moment. And and that's what it really comes down to because it's people's behaviour and the sentiment they're feeling and, and how confident they feel going forward and how much competition, 10 offers on one property, nothing on another. No reason that there should have been a difference between those two properties. So it was really interesting to talk to him as an, an extremely experienced local area expert for him to be able to say, I really don't know what things are going to sell for at the moment. I cannot pinpoint it. And this is why it's so important to understand the process of buying. Because when you've got that sort of disparate um, behaviour and, and results out there, it could cause your head to spin and you really don't know what to do. Mm. And so we see opportunity that as buyers agents, we see opportunity in that. You know, like, so if we see a property that has been um, handled by an agent and they got the quoting wrong. Like in Queensland, you can't quote, so it doesn't, you know, but there might have been the asking price was wrong. It was too high, you know, and it should have sold quite easily if the price was right. 
and is just a bit wrong. So by understanding the process that we teach you to go through, you can actually make better decisions because you can think, oh, my God, I'm seeing opportunity here. And this is the sort of market with this sort of uh, it's transitional market effectively. Like there's there's that oddness of behaviour and inconsistency of behaviour that happens, then that's where it's really important to really understand and know what you're doing, you know. And, and be able to move on an opportunity mm. because – it's one thing to put yourself in a position where you understand, but then actually have the right mindset to be able to say, when an opportunity arises and the property is right and it is in my budget, I am going to move forward confidently yeah. and put my hat in the ring and, and and see if it can be purchased at a price that I'm, I'm prepared to pay. Because one of the things that rising interest rates ro- does to people is it puts uncertainty in their mind yes. to the degree that they they start to second guess whether it is the right decision or not. Um, and as you say, is if you've done all of that work around, can I afford a number of interest rate rises? Do I have the capacity to to withstand one, two, three percent interest rate rises? And that's not our we're not forecasting that. No, Just, it is a really good way to think about can I afford if things keep moving in that direction. So if you've done all of that, then it, it's making sure that you don't get into a position of inactive inactivity um, or analysis paralysis. Uh. Because if you are in the mindset to, to purchase and you have done all of this work and you are confident ar- around what you're prepared to pay, don't let the fact that someone isn't making an offer on that property that you like stop you from moving forward with that. Yeah, because we, you know, we do love social proof and that's one of the things that fuels <laughs> FOMO, you know, because people think, oh my God, everyone else is doing it, therefore it must be a good idea. So and yeah. that, that is something that, you know, from our behavioural biases, you know, that that's absent in a buyer's market and that's one of the reasons why it is a buyer's market because everyone's looking here and go, oh, I'm not, I'm not confident. So we want to give you the confidence to- Somebody mm-hmm. else put the offer on and then I'll think about yeah, it. Yeah, and then and you're going to compete gone. for it. Opportunity's gone. I know. <laughs> and this is another thing too. One of the things that is, is symptomatic of this type of market is a lack of quality stock or just a lack of stock overall. Yeah. And yeah. and the reason for that is because anybody who's got a good quality property is not forced to sell- well, why would they sell when there's so much negativity around the property market? So that's that. And there's nothing else for them to buy. That too. That It makes it difficult for people to upgrade, downsize. So um, you want to stay away from forced sales. There's a lot of sort of, um, you know, I guess property commentary around going, oh, this is great, bargain hunters territory. You want to be away from areas where people might be forced to sell because there are certain locations, for instance, where, and, and unfortunately it's sadly uh, first home buyers who may have got caught out buying in an area where there's lots and lots of fir- uh, homes that are all of the same, similar age, all a similar style, and when they come on the market, a few people have hardship at the same time, then they're competing with other pro- properties that are very similar to theirs. So, yeah, you know, we, one of our, our tenants, we want to talk about scarcity. You're always looking for scarcity and something that's really hard to find. And the lack of stock makes it even harder to find good quality property. So, once again, being ready to buy when you find the right one and understanding that in an environment where there's less to choose from, being able to go, this is a really good one and I don't want to wait for as long as it might take for another one to come on because there's less on the market and I need to go for this one now. So that's something to be very mindful of. Very much so. Regional versus city is a really interesting one, Veronica, because we saw such an influx of people, or exodus of people from cities to regional locations as they looked for different lifestyle options and also different housing options at different price points. 
And and it's really interesting in 2023, it will be fascinating to see how that kind of plays out, whether that exodus from the cities continues, whether it steadies, whether people start thinking, well, I want to get back into that busy lifestyle again now that things are opening up and there are cultural activities available for people to re-engage with. You know, that, that it was so absent for such a long period of time. And I think particularly about Melbourne, you know, that was the the most locked down city uh, in the world. And yet it is one of the most culturally I, I, active. I'm not sure, except China, perhaps. Except China, fair enough. That's certainly <laughs> probably taken over now. At the time it was. In the world, except for China. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough place yeah. to be at the moment. But, you know, Melbourne is a, a cultural hive of activity. There's sports, there's... There's um, theatre. There's there's everything you can markets, great shopping, Lame all these bars. things. Yeah, I <laughs> loved living in Melbourne for the couple of years that I was down there. But people kind of went, I want to get out of here because that didn't exist for them, and that's the basis of one of the reasons probably that they were actually living in Melbourne was that hive of activity and the diversity of things that you could get involved in. Now that that's starting to return, I wonder how much we will see people going, you know, Regent's been nice and it's been relaxed and it's been laid back, but, geez, I want to get back to being able to go to a number of different bars in one night and not just the local pub down the corner. In fact, let me give you a little bit of data on that because there's I've got this on my desk. This is an, a, an article. This one I prepared earlier. In Domain, which I didn't write in our script, but, you know, this basically they did um, core data and, hang on, real insurance in collaboration with core data research did this survey on people who did seal train change, right? They found that 94% people happy with their decision. However, this is a thing which is really amazing, 68% are now planning to move back at some Dang. stage to the city with 23% expecting to do it in the next one or two years and 36% already in the throes, right? So, and they're basically saying that 29%, I don't know how it adds up to 94% said they were happy, and yet 29% of those who moved found that coastal, regional, or rural life just didn't meet their expectation, um, and 20% summons back to work in the office. So that is some very recent um, data exactly on what you're just talking about. Which how is, interesting is that? Yeah, and so regional areas had had a massive influx, uh, increase in prices, and so I guess be very careful and cautious buying in regional areas as a result because, you know, that's the sort of conditions where prices will fall, right? You don't have that. They 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 went up because of that massive influx of people fleeing the cities. But once yeah. again, we keep talking about property being a long-term game. They were making short-term decisions based on, you know, a catastrophic event. Let's not, you know, mince words there. There was, you know, lockdowns and... And who knows how long this is going to go on for. And Nobody a lot of people... knew how long it was going to last. Exactly. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, when we look back and hindsight is, is an amazing teacher. But when we look back, we had no idea in 2020 how long that was going to last, that set of conditions were going to last. And whether we could even get a vaccine or the rest of it. So it's just yeah. interesting that so two years later, say three years later, we're seeing this this shift. And so be very mindful of that wherever you're buying. You know, it's something to, to to take into account if you're buying in a capital city, but also if you're buying in a region as well. Be very mindful of that and sort of be patient because this is about a long-term yeah. play. 
right? Yeah. And be ready. If you really are moving regional, make sure it's for all the right reasons. It has to be about something that's intrinsic to you and what you want. And I, I would strongly recommend, and we always say this, Veronica, if you're moving to a new area, think about renting first. R- rather than committing yourself to a long-term um, purchase of a property, think about renting and seeing if you actually like it there. However, now it's, we have a, a rental client <laughs> crisis. <laughs> I guess what I would encourage everyone and that is, you know, I know that you just want to do it. You know, when you're ready, you want to make that move. You just want to do it. You want to get on with your life. And and quite often people will see, you know, it might be easier to afford a property in a regional area as well compared to if you're moving from a capital city in terms of deposit and just the general cost of homes. There's a there's stock shortage in regional areas as well, although that may well free up if people are selling up to move back to the cities. If you can rent... It is always the best thing to do, but often you can't. So, you know, I'm very, very careful and loathe to say go and buy anyway because you can't rent, (laughs) you know. But I do get that people want to get on with their lives, but be very mindful that quite often when people buy outside of of a major city, that they're buying into an area that doesn't have the same growth drivers for price and they may never get back into the the city um, in terms of as property owners. So just be very mindful about that difference. See, that's something that hasn't been a feature of the property market in Australia for the last two years, but I th- it has previous to that has always been a feature of the property market. And so that's yeah. why I think you'd be mindful that it could well return to that. Could be some elements come in. Seasonality is another thing that it, that um, we need to be very conscious of when, when looking at property cycles. And we really haven't had that traditional seasonality, you know, in its entirety for the last two years because everything's been out of whack. School right. holidays haven't existed. They are an absolute impact on property markets in terms of what transacts, what's available for for auction, when new listings come on, the spring selling season versus winter, which is traditionally much quieter in, in the southern states in particular. Um, but, you know, here we are, um, we're talking to you in January of 2023, and I, I am starting to see some of those factors come back into play. So school holiday period um, is, is often, you know, in Brisbane, but where I am, people just leave. You can find half of Brisbane in Noosa um, and the other half on the Gold Coast. So, you know, people just leave Brisbane. So a lot of properties don't go on the market, but a lot of agents know about what's coming on the market. So there's this sort of underlying pre-market um, you know, bubbling going on that, that there is access to, but not a lot of buyers because most of them have fled town. Um, Brisbane's a pretty hot place in January and there's not an awful lot to do apart from go to a bar and find a nice cool place. <laughs> so, so a lot of people actually, are, and the, the roads are really quiet, can be a great opportunity to buy. And when we talked about that in a previous episode, you know, that quiet time is a great time to buy if you're ready, willing and able, but there's not a lot actually actively marketed on the uh, on the open market and on the portals. But I think this year we will probably see a little bit more of getting back to that traditional cycle of seasonality um, where there's less properties available during school holidays, less during winter, more during particularly um, traditional peak auction periods. Um, and auction peri- auctions generally follow a, a very predictable pattern they're on the market for four to five weeks with the auction on the fourth or fifth week. 
So, so people want to time those auctions happening before school holidays. Once you can get your wrap your head around that, you've you've got a fairly good idea when there might be more listings coming onto the market. It's so true. And look, one thing I would say in the holiday time, you know, your, your property markets in the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast, however, they they they're seasonal a bit in a different way. You know, like whenever yeah. I've holidayed in Noosa over the Christmas period, you know, those agents are still at work. <laughs> They are very busy of people wanting to look at real estate. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so hoping to, to sell to the ice cream lickers, you know, everyone standing and licking their ice cream, looking in the real estate window. They go, oh, I want this. Oh, it's year. so lovely here, isn't it? I want to be on holidays 52 weeks a year, not just one. And every now and then they buy a property. So they're open for that, for, for business. But it's interesting what you say about the auction um, cycle and how that uh, impacts uh, seasonality. Because like you say, Megan, you know, you've got, say, a four-week auction campaign and then you've got the lead up to that and then the post of that. So what that means in Sydney and Melbourne in particular is that you effectively have six, seven, sometimes even eight weeks over the Christmas, December period where basically nothing new comes on, right? So an auction... For an auction to be before Christmas, the campaign has to start in the end of November, right? And then you go, right, well, I don't want to start my auction campaign in December because then I'm going to have an auction on New Year's Eve and everyone's on holiday or whatever. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. But but that is the the cycle. You're spot on. Yeah. And then at the other end of that, so you get through Christmas and New Year's and everyone comes back into the office and it's like nobody wants to have an auction while everyone's on their holidays. And also there's Australia Day weekend. So um, nobody really wants to start their campaign even before then. So then you actually find that this first auctions might be the weekend after, but they're the people who are really desperate to sell. So there's a sign, you know, yeah. if they start their auction campaign on the 6th of January or something, there's a sign they have to sell. And sometimes there's good opportunities, but then what happens, there's this surge of new stock in, in February and the surge of new buyers. So you've got to realize that while you may not have bought yet, right, if you're ready to buy, you're going to be joining a whole bunch of people that actually over the Christmas period, they they use that quiet time to their advantage to plan out what they want to do in the year. All of a sudden, they come into the market in February. You've got new buyers and old buyers mixed with new stock. It's generally the peak of the market in a Frantic. normal market cycle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we always have to be very careful what goes on in February. Because it might be a precursor for what the whole year is going to do, but it also could be this just tiny little blip, which is an, an overinflated blip in the market and everything sort of settles back down, which is exactly what happened in 2022. February was hot for a minute in Sydney. And then yeah. the, the rest of the year just go bleh, it fell flat, right? And so that's, you got to be mindful of that and careful of that. Absolutely. Um, and I guess if you start to read between the lines, you'll start to see that what we're almost telling you without saying it, so I'll just verbalise it, is if you think about those periods and when it is best for a seller to get their property on the market for auction, there is a lead time of between about two and four weeks that an agent has a listing before it hits the open market. So they do know what's coming on. They do have a plan. A good agent has a plan for they need to get that property ready. Owners will be doing bits of work to it. They get it ready for staging. They get photos done 
floor plans, all of these things happen before they hit the open market. So if you work backwards from there, you can start to see that in January there can be opportunities because agents do know what's coming on in February. Very true. And if people have bought at the very end of the year and they're really under pressure to sell, that that's a, a prime sort of listing. That's a prime yeah, opportunity. Yeah. One and thing deals get done on Christmas Eve. Deals oh, get I done know. on New Year's Eve. They, they do. They do. They do. God almighty, it's just, you know, it's crazy when you Rachel, one of my team, did a deal on New Year's Eve once. It's like just closing out, squeezing the last bit of juice out of that year. <laughs> the last bit out of the year. One thing I want to add in too, which is just for New South Wales first home buyers, obviously, is the new stamp duty um, option of choosing to big lump, pay a big chunk of stamp duty or uh, your land tax option. Go back decision. It is. And go back to episode 98, please, if you are in this boat. If you have not listened to that episode, you need to listen to that episode to understand the the pros and cons of each decision and how to actually work out what's right for you, right? Like everything we teach, there's a process. And for you, the answer will only be arrived at, the best answer will only be arrived at after you've gone through that process, right? It's not that difficult, but you do need to know uh, the elements to that. So that's episode 98. But for those of you first home buyers looking to buy in New South Wales, there's going to be potentially a bit more competition in that price bracket up to $1.5 million, right? Now, what also is just worth bearing in mind is that the Liberal government at this point of the recording is currently in in New South Wales and we have an election in March, right? That is gazetted or scheduled or whatever. We're having an election in March and the Labor opposition who depends on who you talk to, have a fair chance of getting in, may or may not. I'm not going to predict that one either. But if they do get in, they have actually said that they will repeal that. So they will take that option away, right? Now, they may or may not. They may decide not to. Who knows? But if they do take that away, right, and you've got this small window of opportunity, that could, A, push prices up a little bit as people get desperate to get in before then, right? So that might put a little bit of upward pressure on the market. But B, you know, if you are only able to get in because you have that option, it's something to be very mindful of that there could be a ticking time bomb on that. Now, once again, I'm not predicting who's going to get in and I'm not going to predict either whether Labor will honour that that pledge or whatever they that claim, um, but it's a risk. So it's just something to be aware of. Absolute nugget of gold there, Veronica, because that is... That is the sort of insight and information that can make or break a good first property decision. So having that, now that you are armed with that information as a, as a buyer in New South Wales, you've got a different way of looking at things. So you can actually look forward and make some decisions based on some assumptions because everything is going to have to be based on assumptions when there's not surety in that space. But you can actually be someone who if something changes, you can look back and say, well, at least I had thought about that before it happened and it's yep. not a slap in the face and a shock if it does happen. So, you know, great piece of insight there from Veronica on what may or may not happen, how you can utilise that and thinking about, all right, well, if it continues as it is, what's my best option? If it changes, what's my best option? And which one am I going to go with? awesome piece of information. We want to help you buy in 2023 and we want to help you buy well, right? This is so important. You know, you are embarking on the most 
monumental financial decision of your life. You know, get this right. It sets you up well for the future. I can't stress that enough. Your first property is the most important property you will ever buy. And so we encourage you to really the best thing you can do to set yourself up for 2023 is to do the bloody course. And now I'm sounding like your mum. I'm going to nag you. Have well, you cleaned you know, that's what your we're room? <laughs> as, as a student once said, every time I looked at a property or was doing some research, I had my two mums sitting on my shoulders saying, have you thought about this? Have you done that? Have you looked at this? Have you considered that? <laughs> We're not your millennial best friend or your Gen Z best friend that's just going to tell you what you want to hear and tell you what sounds fashionable at the time. We're going to tell you the boring shit and we're going to nag you. Please do the course, Your First Home Buyer Guide. Honestly, the investment in your own future, it's cheap, you know, compared to the benefit long-term you're going to get by buying a better asset, doing everything in the right order and not making the mistakes that are so easy to avoid if only you just know the order in which to do things. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.